First Peter chapter two, where we're going to get three verses this morning, and we'll barely finish it. So that's how that's going to go. Um, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So the title of the study is The Priority of God's Word. Uh, Peter has been talking about our salvation. He's talking about how we've been born again. And then he goes on and talks about how we ought to be fervent in our love for one another. And in that mindset of being fervent in our love for one another, uh, we move into uh, verse one where we're told to remove some hindrances that are gonna keep us from growing and walking in love. He says, therefore, so be fervent in love. If you look back into chapter one, verse 22, um, you can see that exhortation there. And now he talks about the very things that will thwart love in a family, that will destroy love in a church, that will uh, you know, obliterate love in a friendship. These types of things that he uh, mentions there in verse one, all of these things will destroy. And he says to lay aside, the idea is like as in a filthy garment. You know, you've been out there, you've been working, you've been soiled, you come, you're gonna go to uh, some event, you are going to change clothes. If you're a bride and you're getting married, you're gonna put on a beautiful white gown and you're going to make certain that that garment is beautiful. You're not gonna do yard work in the morning and then in that garment and then go. I mean, you're not gonna do it. You're gonna, you're gonna, you might do yard work, probably not, on the day of your wedding, I did, but um, you know, I didn't have to wear a white dress though, so I wasn't worried about it, but uh, there is going to be a, a, a guarding of that. And you know, none of you brides are gonna say, I know I'm about to get married in an hour and I know I'm dressed, but can somebody please run to Chipotle and get me a barbacoa burrito, beans, don't drain the beans, and all the sauce you can put into that, and just take a bite and blow out on the, nobody's gonna do that. Although I'm certain some of you brides out there have stories of something that happened to your dress that you didn't want to. Rebecca and myself have um, some friends, um, and at their wedding, if any of you wanna be pastors, here is a pro tip. Um, at their wedding, they were having communion, and the pastor didn't tell the bride and the groom to kind of just drink yourself. So they wanted to give to each other. And so, you know, but you don't know how much, if the cup's, you know, not clear, you can't see how much is going in. So uh, the loving groom poured it in, filled it up, and then overflow happened all over her white dress, right in the middle of the ceremony. I know. She laughed. She laughed really hard. She, she, that was her personality. Is, um, she had already been dressed up. And so they, but, you know, you, we get spots on things. And then there are certain things that we don't want to get anything. Well, you've been given the garments of salvation. So we're to lay aside these old things, these old uh, habits and behaviors that have come to us. And he, and he lists them. He says that malice. Now, malice is uh, a, a mean-spirited or vicious attitude. It, you probably don't call their name out, but you probably know somebody like that. It's like, damn, they're just mean. It's like every time I'm around them, they just rip somebody apart and they shred them. Well, this is to be laid aside. Deceit. It's the Greek word, uh, 
Dolos, not doulos, servant, but dolos. And it means deceit or taking advantage of somebody um, through underhanded methods or through some craftiness. And so you see an angle. It's like, ah, they didn't catch that in the contract. They didn't, they didn't ask me. They didn't follow up with the question. So now I have the opportunity to kind of take advantage of them. And, and so this is to be laid aside. If we're believers, we don't, we don't function like that. We don't walk like that. We walk in truthfulness. He says hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is that uh, actually the word would be used of somebody that was on stage and they were doing a... They're play acting, so they were representing a different character. And that was, that, was, that was the Greek word that hypocrisy is derived from. Um, so uh, so hypocrisis is the word. So hypocrisy, is, you can hear how we get that word, but it means to be play acting. But as it relates to the Christian walk, the idea is you're pretending to be somebody that you're not. You're one way in private, you're another way in public. Now listen, we're all sinners in here. So hypocrisy does not mean that you sinned, you acknowledged it, and you repented of it. That's what we all are supposed to be doing. Hypocrisy is I sin, I hide it, and then I pretend like I don't have a problem with that very thing, and we move on. So that's, he says that needs to be laid aside. He says that envy should be laid aside. And that's the having ill will towards somebody because of some advantage they have. And so um, I think like the idiom would be like your stomach is burning. Like you're just like you're, you're grinding over what they have and what you don't have. And you want it. You want it. And there's an envy that begins to settle in. It's jealousy. And then he says evil speaking, which is kind of a catch-all. <laughs> uh, evil speech, slander, defamation, anything that would detract from a person's character, um, you, all of that is to be set aside. So this is the exhortations. Lay aside all this stuff. And if we're going to grow, this stuff has to be laid aside. We're going to talk about that in just a moment as we read, that we may grow. But if you want to grow, you've got to lay this stuff aside. You can't be growing and then being a terrible, miserable person. You're not growing in Christianity. You might be growing in something else, but you're not growing in Christ-likeness. This stuff is laid aside. And so as we do that, we then move into the positive. So this is kind of the negative, get rid of that stuff. The positive is, as newborn ba babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So as we look at this, we're gonna really slow down and kind of tear this verse apart here. Um, but. The first point is that the word is to be longed after. So he gives us a description of a newborn baby and, and that we should desire the pure milk of the word. And you know, newborn babies don't do a lot, but they do scream when they get hungry. And they do it consistently. And they, this is like their number one job in life when they are first born is just to scream at you and tell you, feed me now. And um, that's, that's the main thing. And there's a longing, there's a desire. Everybody knows this. And Peter is saying, that's what you need to be like for the word of God. You need to have this kind of intense craving. Uh, this word is a, a word in the Greek that's a very strong word and it's even used in negative senses like lusting after. So you would have like an illicit desire. So context is gonna be you know, determined about whether this is positive or negative, but here, obviously positive. 
We're to have intense cravings and longing afters the word of God like a newborn babe. Not like a newborn Christian, like a newborn babe. So if you might be 60 years in, in the faith, you still need to be having intense longings and cravings for the word of God in your life. That should be something that is dominating. And I think most of us in here as believers know that that should be the case. But I think we all will agree pretty readily with what I'm about to talk about next, and that is we need to be warned that an intake of too much information is going to make this information source less desirable to ourselves. Now, we love to say, oh, then that would never happen. The Word of God has too much of a priority. Okay, fine. Reality is, if you fill your mind, and I'm not even talking about sinful things, so let's just let's remove that. I'm just saying, you fill your mind with so many streams of information coming into you, you get to a saturation level as a human being where you can't take in any more. And the next piece of information that comes to you when you're at saturation level, it better be really interesting. It better be very riveting. It better uh, you know, be something that immediately uh, captures my attention. And yet, here we have the Word of God. Got black ink. If you've got an exciting Bible, you've got red ink too. And, and, and when you compare this to the streams of information that we have access to today and how they come in and all the action and all the whatever, and then you, you want to just, you're, now you're saturated with that and you want to sit down and you want to just open the Word of God and read it. Well, I think what you're going to find is that's not very interesting. Now, God's Word is interesting. So it's a judgment of ourself, really not of the word of God, that we've allowed so much information. And listen, there is, we live in an information age, so many ways in which you can be filled with really helpful information. You know, if you've got a hobby, you can learn stuff. If you've got a project around the house, you can learn stuff. You can learn stuff about the Bible, or you can learn stuff about squirrels and their, you know, uh, you know nut-gathering techniques, and exactly how many can they put in their cheeks, and how much do they, you can probably, I have never done this, but I bet you can find it all out. You probably could spend hours watching little videos about squirrels, and then you're going to wake up and I'm not literally, but you're going to come to your senses like, I just spent like two hours watching mindless, numbing stuff. And you're like, oh, I'd never watched that about squirrels. Okay, whatever. You, you, what is it that kind of draws you in and you can spend so much time, not sinful, but it's just there. And now, now you've spent all that time on this and you want to just turn and you're going to, now I've got to have my quiet time. I think most of us are going to have a difficulty with that. And so I think something that Rebecca and myself will say to each other is like, hey, you want to do this or you want to do that? Sometimes I was like, you know what? I don't want any input. I don't want any more information coming into my mind right now. I've got the time for it. I, it's not going to be sinful, but I, I don't have the headspace for it. I, I just, I have, I am at saturation level with information. And I know that if I bring that in, something that I would, should be pondering about, preparation for this message, my own quiet time, whatever, it's going to squeeze things out. And so we are to have this longing after the word of God. And, and it's, that's information, right? It's a, it's a living word of God. It's heaven's message. It's this download to us. But, you know, 
I, I, humanly speaking, there's only so much. You, you know, with your technology, you know, if you want to try and download five massive files all at the same time, it's probably not a good idea. You're probably going to have to, you know, space that out. And in your mind, when you're trying to bring all of this in, and maybe it isn't even a try, it's where we've gotten to as a culture, you're not even trying to do it, it's just, you just do it. I mean, am I the only one that's picked up my phone to do something meaningful and then found myself doing something not meaningful? And think, why did I pick up my phone? Oh yeah, I was supposed to call my wife, you know, and it's like... I'm reading about squirrels or something, you know? So, I, you know, we get distracted. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word. Now, if you want to come and ask me how much time you should be doing that, I am not going to answer your question. You've got to figure that out in your own life because maybe I've got a little tiny bandwidth. Maybe you've got a really large bandwidth and you can, you can take in more. But this is what I'll say. If you're not taking in the word of God or when you pick up the word of God, it has zero to little interest to you. You have a smaller bandwidth than you think. And you've got to take something out. And really, as I was pondering this, if I knew that I had to take out almost all of the input that's coming in through you know, media in order that I could have a, a burning desire for God's word, is it meaningful enough to me that I would lay all those things aside? Now, I don't feel like the Lord is telling me to do that, but it was a question I was just pondering in my own life. I think it's a good question for all of us to ponder. And so, desire the pure milk of God's word. And the next point is, well, first point is the word is to be longed after. The next point is that the word is pure. It is pure. Um, I had mentioned that deceit was the Greek word uh, dolos, not doulos, like servant, but dolos. And the word here for pure is Adolos. So in Greek, if you add the alpha, it negates it. So rather than this being some kind of uh, fraudulent desire, um, now this is a, a something that is pure. And so the word here is um, adolos. It means without deceit, sincere, uh, no fraud. And that's the word of God. It doesn't deceive you. It's not fraudulent. It's not trying to rip you off. The word of God is trying to build you up. But there are many, many people out there that are giving you messages that are fraudulent. They're dolos. They, they want to deceive you. They want to uh, twist your thinking. And so I, I would say this, if, if the, the guy or the gal uh, you know, that you've been reading about or hearing them talk and teach and talking about matters is undermining the word of God, they're fraudulent. They're fraudulent. The word of God is true. It is inspired, which means that God gave it to us. And because God gave it to us, it is therefore inerrant. It is without error. And so because it is inspired and it is inerrant, it is authoritative. It can tell me what to do with my life because it's come from God. And because it's without error. So it's inspired, it's inerrant, it's authoritative, and it's sufficient God's word speaks to me in all the areas of my life that I need to be spoken to. The vital matters of my life are spoken to through the word of God. And so, you know, you may have no problem and say, yeah, I believe the Bible's inspired and I, and I even believe it's inerrant. And um, you would agree that it's sufficient, maybe. You would say, yeah, I believe it can speak to all the areas of my life. But what about that last element, authoritative? How do you feel about that? 
Do you believe that God's word is authoritative in your life, that it can tell you how to live your life? I hope you do. Because it, the word of God is all of those things. I think we're living in a, in a time where, and I'm gonna give you the stats for it in just a moment, great decline in the, in the value of the word of God and the belief that the word of God has something to say. But I believe and know that it is true and that it is not fraudulent. If it tells you to live a way, it is the best way. If it tells you to not live a certain way, it's because it's the best way. Your creator knows it's pure, it's true. And there's a lot of people like to come to the word of God today and say, it's not true. Don't believe it. It's, it's, it's damaging, it'll hurt you. And these are the people we need to run from. It says, desire the pure milk of the word. The word, word, is the Greek word logikon, which is, comes, is derived from the Greek word logos. And logos means God's reason or intelligence expressed in human speech. Can you believe that you have access to that? God's intelligence and reason expressed in human speech, the Bible. You have knowledge of that. You know what God thinks. Now listen, this is what the Bible tells us. Um, you're hearing me talk right now, and so you think you know what's going on in my mind. And for the most part, you are correct in that. But I will be honest with you, and if you've ever spoke, you know this to be true. I can be talking to you, and like 90% of my mind is fully engaged, and there's 10% that's like, like distracted by something that you don't see, that I see going on, or something pops into my mind. Um, and, and I'm like, stop, you know, I'm trying to squelch that. And the, but you don't know that's going on. You know what I'm saying. You're sitting there and you're looking. Some of you are taking notes. Some of you are bright-eyed. You're like locked in. I'm like, all right, they're looking. You know, they're paying attention. But every time I look over here, you over there, actually, you are looking at the whole squirrel thing right now. You, you looked that up. So I think you're paying attention, but you're not. I don't know what's going on in your heart and in your spirit. You can be hanging out with your best friend. You can be with your spouse, and you can think you know what's going on within them. And if you've been married for more than 20 minutes, you know that that is not always the case. What you think is going on is not actually what's happening, and you find out later, oh, I didn't know that. But even as friends, you know, you think you're, you're talking, you're going on and on about this exciting thing, and you're like, are you listening? Are you paying attention? Wow, well, no, man, I've got this text, and totally, I'm thinking about this. Now, you thought they were fully engaged with all kinds of compassion and concern, and they weren't. The point is this, you don't know what is in the spirit of another man. We get indications, we talk, we communicate, but you still don't really know. Well, how about, if that's true with us, how about this way? How about God, the creator of the universe, an infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful God, do you know? What he's thinking, and the answer is yes. This is what it says. This is what Paul talks about in Corinthians. You don't know what your friends are thinking. You don't know what's in, this, in, in, the, in the spirit of another man or woman, but you know what is in the spirit of God because who dwells within you? The Holy Spirit. He dwells within you, revealing who God is to you. 
So this is the reason and the intelligence expressed by God in human speech. And when we read the Bible and we interact with it, we are learning and discovering and, and being reminded, if you've walked with the Lord for a long time, what is the reason and the intelligence of God? And so we desire the pure milk of the logicon, of, the, of, of God's reason and intelligence. Can you believe that you have access to that? That's pretty amazing. God has knitted you together with him in such a, a powerful way. You know, not everybody who shares information has the best motive for you. Now, it's not to say they have bad motives. They might be selling something, and it might be a great product, and it might be better than any other product. So they want you to know that this is the best product, but they're also getting a payday. So they have other motives for why they're advertising or you know, an influencer, or somebody on a podcast, or whatever. It's not to say they're evil. There are evil people out there, but I'm not talking about that. Just people that give you information. They have other motives. There's other things that they're trying to, to get from you, to benefit them. And, and in many cases, that's completely fine. We understand that relationship. <laughs> you give me information, you tell me about the product, I give you money, okay. But that's not the way of the Lord. It's completely pure. His desire is for you to have. We need to pray for a revival of the word of God. We need to pray for that to come alive. And I'm gonna give you, again, some stats in just a couple of minutes. That, I mean, they're so, so sad of where the church is in America. But let's talk about this before we move on. He says the results, still there in verse two, is that desiring the pure milk of the word is we're gonna grow. How do you grow? How do you become more like Jesus? How do you become more loving? How do you become more kind? How do you grow in your, your, your understanding, your knowledge? Well, all of these things we're reading about, but my question is, is it a goal? Is it on the, the, the map of your life in any significant way that I wanna be more mature? I wanna be, I wanna be more patient in three months from now than I am right now. I want to be more kind. I want to be more generous with my money and my time and my, uh, you know, with people that are in need. I want to have a greater desire for prayer. I want to be a bolder witness and evangelist. I mean, do you have a desire? Do I have a desire to grow, to be changed in the course of this year? The only way that's going to happen is if we are taking in the pure milk of God's word. Here are a couple of things that we find that the word of God will do in us. In Jeremiah chapter one, verses nine and 10, we read this. It says, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, <clears throat> behold, I've put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. Okay, well, what does the word of God do? And then he tells us to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down. There's a destructive element of the word of God. It brings low the things that have exalted themselves against the kingdom of the Lord. But then there's a positive side to build and plant. Now, that's kind of the model we have right here in, in 1 Peter chapter two. Lay aside these things, uproot, destroy, right? Knock them down and then grow as you take in the word of God. And this is what the word of God does. It's going to tear down. It's going to build up. Um, it's going to help us to overcome sin. 
It's going to help us to overcome Satan. First, or Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. There's that intense desire, right? I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we see with the word of God how it works in us to bring maturity. In 1 John 2.14, we read that if you abide in the word of God, it's going to help you and you will overcome Satan, the wicked one. And Psalm 1, 1 through 3, it says that it's going to make your life full and fruitful. You'll be planted by the rivers of water. And that there's going to be these streams that are flowing forth. And whatever you do, you're going to prosper. The leaf is not going to wither. And that's what the word of God will do in your life. It's going to make you full and full of vigor and life, the abundant life. And so we, we need to be taking it in. I hope you can see that to set these things aside is problematic because there's things that get built up in my life that need to be torn down, and the word of God will do that. There's things where it needs to be built up because I've torn it down, and the word of God will do that. There's, I need strength to overcome sin. I, I need to overcome the wicked one, and the word of God does all of this. I encourage you to write down this next passage because this is your homework. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 12. Write that down. Read it together with those that you came with. Even if you've got to do it through a text chain, go ahead and do it. And find the six things that the word of God will do in your life. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 12. What are the six great works of the word of God? Every one of these is worth having in your life. So before we finish this up, I want to get to verse 3. I want to just kind of divert a little bit. And I want to talk about the place of the Word of God. I want to talk about it, the place of the Word of God in the church. And I want to talk, continue to talk about the place of the Word of God in our life. So within the church, we can read passages where Paul, writing to Pastor Timothy, who's ministering to the church, he says, preach the Word. Preach the Word in season and out of season. Give them the word. He, he, we can also find other places where he talks about give attention to the public reading of the word of God. And so we find the importance that the word of God should have inside of the church. Jesus spoke to Peter and he told him, feed my sheep. Three times he said, take care of them. Give them my word. This should be so easy for us to see and to understand that when we gather is that we should be reading the word a church who has a pastor and elders that does not esteem the word of God as one of the top priorities is a church that needs to be corrected. And if it's not corrected, and that pastor or those elders are not going to give the word of God, then the flock needs to leave. And that church needs to shut down. There's no reason for it to exist. And that's not harsh. That's not harsh at all. What's harsh is that God's people are starving and they don't know how to deal with their marriages, and they're not being reminded of how to walk in kindness. They're not being helped when they're brokenhearted, and they're given these sappy little emotional stories that don't do anything five minutes after you walk out the door. The word of God is living and powerful. That's what's sharper than any two-edged sword. That's what's gonna tear down. That's what's going to build up. Listen, a pastor who doesn't know he's supposed to teach the word, I, no patience for it. What did you think you were going to do? 
What did you think you were gonna do when you decided to pastor a church? You were gonna use the Bible? That's what your plan was? Then you're not a pastor. But you know, people give me say, that's too much word. That's too much word for our culture. And we're gonna drive people off. I don't think so. What I think is gonna happen, and has happened, and we, this is so clear through COVID and through a raucous election and all kinds of stuff that we dealt with culturally. When churches decided, you know what? We're no longer gonna teach the word. We're gonna go woke here. We're gonna do this. Do you know what happened to those churches? They emptied out. They emptied out. And people began to find other places, and there's plenty of them, where that pastor and those elders are like, we're gonna give you the word, and we're gonna love you, and we're gonna make certain you know the truth. And so this is a, a great problem. You know, 29 years ago when we came out here, I, I read to you already from Jeremiah chapter one, the Lord said, I'll put my hand on your mouth and I'll put your words only speak these things. Boy, the Lord made that so clear to me. And when, he, when I was coming here, he says, listen, you get there, and the only thing I ever want to hear you come out of the mouth when you stand in the pulpit is I want you to give them my word. I don't want you to be political. I don't want you to be cute. I don't want you to, I, I want you to give them my word. And I know some of you wish I was more political. I'm political in my head. Just stop in my living room some evening and you'll hear about my politics. I, and every one of my opinions is correct. I'm convinced of it. <laughs> Otherwise, it would not be my opinion, right? It might be yours, but it wouldn't be mine if it wasn't correct. I mean, I, I, I have strong opinions. I mean, I, I've had dreams of becoming the, has anybody else ever had a dream of being the president of the United States? I'm curious, you have? We got a healthy self-esteem right here, okay? So, and I was protesting in this dream. I'm like, I will not do that. I will not do that. I, there's no way I'll ever do that. And then I'm like, I'm involved in some kind of state government. And then um, I, you know, I have a friend who's uh, served in the, in the government for a long time. And they're like, you gotta be president. I say, I will only be president if this guy is the chief of staff. And the next thing I'm in the Oval Office and I am the president of the United States. True story, I woke up and I was glad to wake up because I was like, I didn't want to do it. <laughs> so yeah, I've got, I, I'm political, believe me, I've got all kinds of thoughts, but I, I'm compelled by what the Lord told me 29 years ago and it's like, I put my words in your mouth. That's all I want to hear coming from you. That's all my people need. It's so important. In 2022, in February, March of 2022, a thousand Christian pastors were surveyed. And if I remember correctly, they interacted with them at least 17 minutes in five different ways um, over a period of time. And, well, February, March. And um, they, the statistics came back and they are quite disturbing. This was conducted by the Arizona Christian University's Cultural Research Department and here are the findings that they have. 37% of Christian pastors in America have a worldview. Only 37% of pastors have a Christian worldview. And then it breaks it down. I'm going to give you three different charts. Here it is. Um, if you want to find this, go to arizonachristian.edu and do your search. Um, Non-denominational pastors, what percentage of them um, have a biblical view? 57%. That's the highest. 
That means that's still not very good. 51% of evangelical Protestant. Half of the evangelical church in America does not have a biblical worldview, meaning they believe in creation, they believe in sin and salvation and redemption and uh, Christian uh, values and, and conduct. There's, it's all listed out. But this is, this is what they found. And it goes down. Charismatic is 37. Mainline Protestant, 32. Holiness is 28. Traditionally, black Protestant is 9. And Roman Catholic is 6. That gives an average of 37%. And then it breaks it down further into the size of the church. Again, all churches, the average is 37. It's going to come back with this in all the charts I show you. But if it was a smaller church of 100 or fewer, is 41%. Um, the highest was um, those that were between 100 and 250 adults, that it was 45%. But as you look, the, the, you know, it goes down. 251 to 600 adults is 14%. So the larger the church became up to this amount, I guess this is as far as they took it, it got low. And then they broke it down into the specific role that a pastor plays at these churches, which I find very interesting. Uh, again, 37% for all pastors. But if it's a senior pastor, it's 41% of the, of the senior pastors or lead pastors believe in a biblical worldview. 28% of the assistant and associates pastors, have, 28% believe that. The teaching pastor, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? What are you teaching? Something, I mean, hello. Uh, teaching pastor, 13% have a biblical worldview. Children and youth pastor, Anybody want to do the math on this one? What is the, what is the church going to look like in 10 years from now? If they don't, if the people teaching our kids don't, and they do. If we find, if we, we make certain that your kids are being taught by people that believe what you find on our, our doctrinal statement, and if they depart from that, and you know, it's some serious doctrine, then they're no longer doing it. That can't be corrected. So we don't hire people that don't believe in this way to come on staff or to serve in any capacity where the word of God is being handled. But 12%. But who you really have to watch out for is the executive pastor. 4%? So 96% of the executive pastors that are executing the vision and the direction of the ministry don't believe in the Bible? Like, why would you do that with your life is what I want to say. You're invested in something you don't even believe in? But this is where we are. So when I said we need to pray for a revival of the word of God, you, you can see why we do. Yeah, we believe in the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, sufficient word of God. And we believe that we're going to get up and we're going to teach it over and over and over again. It might be tedious, but it's, it's good for you and for me too. It's good for all of us. So in the 29 years we've been here, um, this is our fourth journey through the New Testament. If you come out on Wednesday night, it's our fourth journey through the Old Testament. And when we get through number four, we're going to stop teaching the Bible. No, we're, we're going we're to start and we're going to do it a fifth time. And we're going to continue to go through the Word of God. It's important that we do that. I am so thankful. And I realize a lot of you probably don't even realize this, but you know, Calvary Chapel Lynchburg, we own a Christian radio station that reaches out to about 600,000 potential audience. And it plays 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we don't put guys on the radio that don't believe the Bible. And that goes out into our community. And I can tell you, people listen to Equip FM. I, I mean, I can be, it's weird, 
but I can be standing in line buying groceries and somebody will hear me talk and they'll say, hey, are you Pastor Trump? I listen to you on the radio, I don't go to your church. And you know what, always, I always get excited about that piece because I realize that it's not just me, it's the other 25 pastors or whatever that's on the radio. That message, the word of God's going out there in our community and so this is something that you get to be a part of as you, you give and as you pray for the work of the ministry. That word is going out there and it's having an impact. I hear from pastors around the town, from all of them. I don't mean every single one, but I mean from across the board, I hear pastors, they're listening. They're being fed the word of God. They're, they're feeling inspired to teach the word of God like the guys they're hearing on the radio. And we get to do that. We get to have that impact on our community. Pray for the word of God as it goes out over the airwaves. So that's the state of the church, the state of your life. Spend time in the word. Open your Bible, set the time aside. Isaiah 50 verse four, this is a prophecy about Jesus. It says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word and season to him who is weary. Wouldn't it be good to know how to do that? How do I do that? Oh, he awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. This is why when you read in the Gospels, long well before daylight, Jesus was up and out praying. Yeah, he was being awakened morning by morning. But we need to do that too. We need to be instructed. Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. He compares his hunger for the word of God, not like a newborn babe. He picks up a different kind of metaphor. He describes it to being in a land where you're a thirsty traveler and you can't find any water. Hopefully that's descriptive of our desire to meet with the Lord. Nobody can have your quiet time. You've got to do that. Set aside the time. Seek the Lord. Now, I... I realize that you know, some of you are like, well, I just do not have the quiet time. Well, I'm gonna give you something in just a moment that will help you do that. But let me just close in 1 Peter 3 before we get to that. And this one simple phrase there, verse three, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Why does he make it a conditional statement? Does that mean that some have and some haven't? No, if you have an NIV, it's probably translated it instead of if, it probably says since. And so a conditional statement in the Greek can be if, or it can be since, and it's the same kind of word, but context helps you determine. So why would he use a conditional statement though? Because he wants you to ask that question. If somebody says if, our minds, they engage in the logical process of the question, right? Or the, or the, or the condition. You know, if this, you're, you're evaluating it. He wants you to evaluate this question. Is God gracious? Is God good? Have you had an awesome encounter with the Lord when you got saved? Have you been, um, experienced the truth of God in your life? Have you had that experience? Oh, okay. If you've done that, then desire the pure milk of the word. So remember the Lord's goodness. It will motivate you to get back into the word of God and rediscover it. Now I realize some of you are like, I just don't know how to have a quiet time. I don't know that there's any more, but we had some bookmarks out on the front tables and it looks like that. On the back, there was uh, these four points of, or so of how to have a quiet time. But go ahead and put the QR code up. So I actually give you permission to pull that out and you can scan that. And it's about a page and a half of notes 
of how to have a quiet time. Super simple. Not simplistic. It's super simple on how to do it. And if you're like, I don't know how to have a quiet time, then I encourage you, pick a book of the Bible and start reading through it and, and, and use this as a, a method. Now, if you're like, well, I, have, I know how to have really good quiet times. Okay, great. I want you to still get it because you know somebody that doesn't know how to have a quiet time. So the question is, do you know how to have a quiet time right now? That is, was a question. But now the question is, do you, need, do you know how to help others have a quiet time? Because it's different, isn't it? You know how to do something. It's like, yeah, you know how to change you know, an alternator. Or can you tell me how to change an alternator? <sighs> Not really. <laughs> uh, you can come watch me. Uh, so this is the thing with the word. Do you know how to, how to have a quiet time? But do you know how to tell somebody else how to have a quiet time? And if you don't, then this is a really simple way on how to do that. So let's, let's stand together. We're going to close. Worship team, again, I've gone over. You can stay where you are. But um, let's just commit. Let's ask the Lord to stir up a, a craving for the word of God. Father, we come before you and even as we've sat reading your word and studying it, we pray that you will take this time and that you will ignite a, a burning desire, intense cravings for your word. That Lord, you would teach us how to hear from you and how to study your word. Lord, this is what you want for us. So you've given us a book. Your desire is that we would read it, that we would study it, and that we would give it away. So Lord, help us in that. Help us to do that. Um, and I just want to give you a moment. If you're, if you're here and like, man, I know this is all true, but I'm not going to raise my hand, but I, in my heart and mind, I can tell you I don't have much desire for God's word. Then ask him. Ask him to give you a desire for it. And then open the word and start praying and watch him answer. Engage in it. But maybe there are some too many streams of information that are coming into your mind. It's just You're distracted. You have no time for another stream, especially something that's kind of sit down, read it, and be quiet and ponder. Lord, your word is true, and we are so blessed to have your intellect and your reasoning delivered to us in the form of the scriptures. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.